Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, and joining me on this very special UFC 197 Jones vs. OSP edition of Half the Battle is Mike Biggie Rhodes. Biggie, welcome back to Half the Battle, man. Thank you for having me, man. It's a pleasure to be back on the show. Absolutely, man. The pleasure is mine. And, you know, we got a lot to talk about, man. You know, both Pettis brothers are on this card, and I specifically handpicked you to be my guest for this edition of Half the Battle because, I mean, you've trained at Rufus Sport for so long. So, first of all, how pumped are you to see your boys, Anthony and Serge, get back in that cage? Man, I'm pumped to see them back in there, man. And uh, it's a good thing they're both healthy. They're both uh, motivated. And uh, I think we're going to see, you know, uh, the old – the old Showtime Pettis and a very, uh, you know, a, a new, newer version of, uh, you know, his little brother, Sergio. Yeah, Serge, I mean, he's been consistently evolving, and we'd love to see Anthony get back on his winning ways. But we got to start at the bottom of the card, and we got Kevin Lee, who is a minus 400 favorite, and he's taking on Efrain Escudero, who's plus 280. And, I mean, the way I see this fight is... You know, on paper, Kevin Lee should win, as the odds indicate. You know, he's better everywhere. He's more dynamic, but he is coming off a very devastating setback. He got knocked out in the first round by Leo Santos, and he was counted out by many people going into that fight. So it's a question of how does he recover from a knockout loss? Now, the thing with Efrain is, you know, he's decent everywhere. He's not particularly athletic, but, you know, he's got some signature wins in the UFC. This is a showcase fight for Kevin Lee. Much like many of the fights on this card, a lot of them are showcase fights, and if Kevin Lee goes out there and does what he's supposed to do, he will get the victory here. What do you think, Biggie? Um, you know, Kevin Lee is a friend of mine. Um, hooked up with him while we were out in Vegas. Cool dude. Um, I was supposed to train out of Extreme Couture with him while I was out there. I ended up tearing my meniscus, so uh, we just kicked it at a great goose, actually. Like, uh, they were introducing a new flavor of their vodka, so uh, we went there, and I met him, and then... Uh, he, he comes up to Rufus Ford and trains every now and then. He's from uh, Michigan, so uh, he's close, you know, even though he trains out in Vegas. So um, his last fight, he was looking on fire in training, man. I think that he just made a little mistake, um, you know, in disrespecting uh, the guy's hands a little bit too much. Um, but, you know, that's part of his game. That's how he fights. That's how he, that's how he is. He just got caught that night. Um, I don't see Eskren being able to catch him. Like you said, I think it's a showcase fight to get uh, Kevin back in the limelight, get him back on a win streak, and I think he's going to do just that. I think he's going to go out there and dominate Efrain Escudero um, and make it make it one-sided. I can see him uh, knocking him out late in the first, even TKO on him in the second. Yeah, absolutely. And in Kevin Lee's defense, none of us saw Leo Santos performing at that high of a level You know, at, at UFC uh, – I believe it was 189. Now, here's the thing, man. He should win this fight, and I assume that he will. So it's a matter of, is he going to show up? But the thing is, Efrain Escudero, he's also fought Leo Santos. They, they have a common opponent here. And, uh, you know, Efrain also lost to Leo Santos. But he did have more success. But styles make fights, man. You can't, uh, you know, there's uh, they say MMA math doesn't work for a reason. So we'll have to see if uh, Kevin Lee gets the victory here. Now, next up. We got a 205-pound matchup between Marcos Rogerio de Lima. He's minus 155. The comeback on Clint Hester is plus 115. And, I mean, I've known Clint Hester for a long time. You know, he's an ATL boy. And he actually, he's moving up a weight class. He's changing teams. He uh, He's moving states. So I think he's got to be super motivated going into this fight. And the thing with uh, de Lima, he's one of these Brazilian bombers. You know, if you... Uh, if you sleep on this guy, he will he will throw a big left hook, a big overhand right, and put you down onto the ground. But, you know, I think Clint Hester is coming into this fight super motivated, super refocused, super charged. And I think he's going to get the victory as an underdog here. What do you think, Mike? 
Um, you know, a lot of the things that you said could be good and could be bad um, for Clint Hester. You know, moving gyms, going to a different place. Um, sometimes it's just information overload and you start to, uh, you know, you start to think while you're in the cage. And, and that can be dangerous, you know. So hopefully they're just fine-tuning his game, not trying to add too many new things, especially with the fight coming up. Hopefully he's, uh, you know, he's focused in and, and capable to do um, you know, his style just a little bit better. Um, having too much thrown at you can be detrimental to that for sure. So um, it's going to be hard to see. Uh, like you said, DeLima, he's a bomber. You know, he's going to throw heavy, hard punches, pretty good jujitsu. Uh, I think we're going to be looking at a pretty evenly matched fight here. Um, I can see Clint Hester's athletic ability being the deciding factor in this fight. Uh, definitely needs to keep it on his feet. Um, if he's going to take down, he's got to make sure that he's on top. Uh, he can't be taken down by the much bigger fighter moving up a weight class. Um, I'm going to have to go with, uh, if I got a pick here, I'm going to go with um, DeLima, actually. I'm going to go with DeLima by decision. I think he's going to be able to take him down and uh, be able to hold him down. And I think it's going to be, um, you know, a kind of smothering fight. Yeah, I'm actually glad you brought up, you know, the potential of uh, information overload by him switching camps because, you know, a couple weeks back, you recall when OSB stepped up on short notice to fill in for DC. DC was like, hey, you can come to AKA. I'll pay for your, you know, entire camp to beat Jones. And for me, I was like, please do not take that offer, OSB. And he didn't take that offer. Now, a lot a lot of people on Twitter were like, why wouldn't he take that offer? You know, a world-class gym versus, you know, training with some dudes in Knoxville. Well, the way I view it is, I mean, when you've got 10 to 20 days to prepare for a fight, you don't just change everything that you've, you know, you've been training for so long and go do someone else's training methods. You need a long time to adjust to a new camp. So, Mike, I mean, you're the fighter here. Do you agree with me when I say that, you know, if you're going to change camps, you need at least a couple months, not 10 or 20 days? Yeah, man. Um, honestly, even at your own camp, you have to be able to focus in. And you have to have coaches that understand that when you have a fight in front of you, um, you don't need to be introducing a lot of new techniques. Um, that just clouds the fighter's head and that makes them think, you know, when we're thinking in there, um, you know, that's when bad things happen. You know, um, you just have to be comfortable with the techniques that you're using and, uh, you don't just sharpen them, you know, and that's, that's what we really focus on at Rufus Sports. you know, when you're in between fights, that's the time to try crazy stuff during practice. That's the time to, you know, try to get better. That's the best time to try new things. If you have a fight, it's like dial in at what you're really good at. You know, you can add one or two things, but it has it has to mesh into your game. If it's something you have to force, information overload is bad for fighters. You know, that's when you see them getting caught uh, because they're thinking. So um, definitely, if you're going to a new camp, um, you, you, you better hope they understand that. Absolutely. Now, next up, we got a heavyweight matchup between UFC newcomer Cody East. He's minus 175. The comeback on Walt Harris is plus 135. Now, we all know Cody East. He was on Dana White's looking for a fight. And uh, basically, he's being brought in here to win. He's supposed to get the victory here over Walt Harris, who, you know, he's been unsuccessful in the UFC, but it's not like one of those situations where, you know, where he's had a couple very exciting wars and he's a super durable guy. This is a situation where Walt Harris has, uh, he's quit in fights before. You know, he's looked for the door when things don't go his way. So if Cody East starts bombing on him, I don't see a reason why things would be any different here. But at the same time, when you're looking at two big men like that, Harris could land a big shot on the button and put him out cold. I would not be surprised one bit. But I do have to lean towards the more confident guy, and that is Cody East. So I will pick him for the victory. What do you think, Biggie? Um, I think heavyweights are um, 
hit or miss. Um, there's so many heavyweights, and honestly, if I was a bigger guy, I would love to fight heavyweight because a lot of those guys, um, you know, they've never been at, in adversity. A lot of them are the bigger guys in the gym all the time, so they're always dominating people due to their size. And a lot of them, you know, that fight, you have really good heavyweights or you have really bad heavyweights. There's not a lot of guys in the middle um, for that weight division. Um, like you said, the one punch can end the fight either way. Um, you hear me say this a lot. That's just because I think I'm a pretty cool dude and people relate to me, but me and Walt Harris fought on the Chicago card together. Uh, we also, you know, we fought on, uh, UFC cards together. He's a good dude. We both come from a a basketball background. Um, he's going to be definitely the better athlete in that fight. Um, you know, I think being at ATT, he's got a bunch of big training partners and, uh, you know, we talk occasionally and I see him on Snapchat, I see his videos He's grinding hard, man. He's putting in the work. Um, I think, like you said, though, um, you know, the Cody East kid, he's being brought in to beat Walt Harris, and that that's the thing. And I think that Walt Harris has fought the tougher competition. Um, he has the UFC experience under those bright lights. And uh, I think a guy like Cody East, that might, um, you know, frustrate him a little bit is the athleticism of um, Walt Harris. So, you know, and that lefty-righty matchup, I believe that's lefty-righty. Um, I don't know how many lefties Cody East has trained with or fought with. I think Walt Harris is going to, um, you know, put put some strikes from different angles that he's never seen. I see him getting the TKO victory in that one. So you're straight up taking the underdog, Walt Harris, here. For sure. I'm taking him. You can put the money on the and take it to the bank. I'm taking Walt Harris. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. It might be worth a look. Now, next up, man, this is going to be really good. We got James Vick. He's minus 190. The comeback on Glaco Franca is plus 150. Now, you guys already know James Vick. He's a good friend of mine. He's co-hosted Half the Battle many times. And I mean, obviously, I'm rooting for him to win. But when we're talking about picking fights, we got to break down the fight itself. And the thing that's so, you know, different about Vic is he's a six foot three lightweight. He's the tallest lightweight on the roster. And he's not one of these, uh, you know, guys that has a tall man defense, as they like to say, where he sticks his chin up and, you know, gets knocked down a lot. He's one of these guys that he's, he's very technical and man, he's got one of those game changing moves in his power guillotine. I mean, if you shoot for a takedown on James Vic, you're getting choked out. I don't care what degree black belt you are. You are not getting out. Oh, that guillotine choke. Now, the thing with Glaco Franca is he does kick very hard. He is a tough guy. He's young. He's hungry. He's Brazilian. He probably wants it really badly. But I know Vic wants it just a little bit more. And that's going to be the difference here. I think his UFC experience, the fact that, you know, like you mentioned in the previous fight, Mike, James Vic has been inside uh, the bright lights of the UFC. Now, the thing with Franca is he has fought in the UFC once, and it was on one of the biggest cards of all time. He fought on the Ronda vs. Betch card right before Shogun vs. Lil Nog. That was his UFC debut. So he has one-time experience there, but Vic is 4-0 in the UFC. He's you know beat guys like Jake Matthews in the first round. I mean, you know I got to go with my boy James Vic here, so I'm going to go with my boy James Vic, and I think he will finish Glaco Franca under 2.5 rounds. Yeah, I think that is a fight that's... Um... You know, it's probably going under under the radar um, a little bit, obviously, on such a big car like this. Um, you know, the Brazilian here, um, I'm not too, you know, I'm not too familiar with him um, as far as, you know, his fight career, who he's fought for, and, you know, who his competition has been up until this point. Um, like you said, uh, uh, black belt jiu-jitsu, but it doesn't matter, man. It's MMA. MMA jiu-jitsu is something totally different. Um, James Vick is a very tall, 
um, lightweight. Um, it looks like the Brazilian kid is uh, fairly tall himself uh, from that card. I see James Vick just being too much. Uh, I think the bright lights and everything like that, you know, uh, the big, bigger opponent, the better opponent, styles make matches. And I think that this, with James Vick being the longer fighter, I think he can frustrate um, Franca into shooting takedowns from super far out, which is, you know, a guillotine, a guy with a really good guillotine that's like birthday cake to them. So um, I'm going to go with James Vick on this because uh, he did beat, you know, the young fighter uh, from Australia, Jake Matthews. And uh, that, that kid, you know, I'm pretty high on that kid. Uh, he just beat John, uh, Johnny Case, who I'm not a big fan of, so... You know, I like Jake Matthews, and I'm, um, you know, I'm pretty high on James Vick right now. Hopefully, he can fight a little bit longer and rangy than he normally does, but I can definitely see him pulling out the victory in this fight. Yeah, and speaking of Johnny Case, you know, we definitely uh, cashed that underdog play on Jake Matthews, you know. And, you know, it's funny because I looked at the scorecards, and it said Johnny Case was actually up 2 nothing. I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, you saw the, the face he made when he took that body shot. Yeah, he... uh He's been gifted some stuff in the UFC for sure if you if you go back and watch his fight. So that didn't surprise me at all. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, the good news is for a betting man like myself, you know, you look for opportunities. When you got a hyped guy like Johnny Case and he's a big favorite, you take the shot on that underdog. But ba- back here, I mean, for all the fans listening, I will be in Vegas for UFC 197. So definitely look out for a post-fight victory podcast on Half the Battle with James Vick. After he uh, chokes out or knocks out Glaco Franca, and that's with all due respect to Glaco Franca, you know he he signed the dotted line. He's stepping up to fight Vic, so much respect to him. But like I said before, we gotta go with my boy. So James Vic will finish this fight. Now next up, we got a female strawweight fight between Carla Esparza. She's minus two ten. The comeback on Juliana Lima is plus 160. Now, it's interesting because they do have a common opponent. They've both been in there with Joanna Janjacek. Now, Lima actually went the full three-round distance. This is before Joanna was the champion. And with Carla, you know, she did get stopped in her last fight. She did not look her best. Now, when this fight was first announced, I was like, all right, well, I should probably take a shot on Lima as the underdog. But one of my buddies is really good friends with Carla Esparza. And he told me firsthand that, you know, she hasn't been going out at all. She hasn't been hanging out with her friends. She's just been training and training and training. So when someone has that kind of focus and that mindset, it's very hard to pick against them. What do you think, Biggie? Um, honestly, um, you know, um, I coached, uh, I, well, I didn't coach, but I was a part of the team that coached um, the ultimate fighter. And so I got to, uh, you know, be around a lot of these, uh, you know, these 15 pound, 115 pound women, um, as you know, as they were trying to make their way into the UFC and, you know, obviously win their championship. Um, I saw Carla do that, but Carla has been the same fighter since she started fighting. Um, she hasn't improved. Uh, she she has the same style. She she can't strike. She she dies for takes takedowns. Uh, she leaves herself really open for a lot of things. Um, and Juliana Lima's tough. You know she's beat. Uh, she goes to decisions. She's tough. She can you know she's always in great shape. Um, you know she beat Nina Ansgaroff, um, who's pretty good. And like you said, she went the distance with uh, Joanna Joanna Champion. You know so. Anybody who goes the distance with her, um, I believe that they have a chance in any other fight. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily take away that uh, that uh, underdog bet there. I'm gonna go. Um, I think that she's gonna be able to do enough, stay on her feet enough, 
um, to outstrike um, Carla Esparza. So I'm going to take Juliana Lima for the upset victory here. Yeah, man. And, you know, fuck, you just talked me back into it. You know, it's funny because the reasoning behind me initially picking Juliana is like we mentioned, man. I mean, that fight that Carla had with Joanna was so eye-opening. And you don't just come back from a beating like that. And obviously, you know, Juliana... No, she, go ahead, go ahead. She's changed. When you, when, you get your, when, you get your, when you get beat up like that, that changes you as a person. You, 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 people don't understand that when you're not a fighter, when you're not in that world, but my coach Duke Rufus talks about it all the time. It changes you. So, you know, we have to see, is it changing her for the better or for the worse? She's going to be gun shy. Is she afraid to get punched now? That's something that you're going to see. Um, you know, that's something that we're going to have to pay attention to early in the fight because taking a beating like that, you know, that, that was a savage, that was a savage beating that she took. And so that's going to change her as a person. So I would really pay attention and look, look into that fight and, you know, see what we really believe about uh, Carla Esparza after this upcoming match. Well, let me ask you this, Mike, do you think that there's a chance uh, Esparza can out wrestle Juliana Lima? Because if she's going to win, that's how she's going to do it. That's the thing is uh, I don't know if Juliana Lima is going to be able to stop the wrestling, but the thing is, is that the fight starts on his feet. So she has to prove that she can take her down. I think Juliana Lima holds the the striking um, card in this fight, even if it's just by a little bit. I feel like she can outwork Carla Esparza. And Carla Esparza doesn't necessarily do a lot of ground and pound. She just holds her positioning really well. Um so I can see Juliana Lima, even with being taken down a couple times, still being able to win a decision. Yeah, we might have to take a look. I'm going to see how they look on the scales and take it from there. Now, real quick, before we move on to the next fight, you were talking about how, you know, Duke likes to talk about how, you know, when you come back from a beating like that, you're not the same. So let me ask you something real quick, because yep. Rory McDonald is fighting Wonderboy Thompson and we all know Rory's coming off that five-round war with Robbie Lawler. And, you know, one doesn't simply come back the same after a five-round war with Robbie Lawler. How do you see that one going down, man? Um, honestly, man, I think that fight did a lot for Rory, even though he lost that fight. That, you know, he stood up, he took the shots, and he, he, he kept fighting. And, I mean, that's a five-round war, you know. You know? And so, uh, you know, Wonder Boy is different. He's tricky. You're not going to get the big, wide, crazy you know, punching power that you see in Robbie, but you see nice, crisp, really clean shots from, you know, the karate uh, practitioner. But I think that Rory McDonald comes from a karate background as well. Um, he, he's seen that point style fighting. Um, he's, he has a really good double leg. He has a really good jab. And those two things, I think, is going to make uh, Wonder Boy kind of calm down a lot of the crazy techniques that he normally does because he's normally the taller longer, rangier guy. I think that Roy McDonald um, will decision Wonderboy Thompson and, and, and cement his spot as like a, you know, a gatekeeper. That's kind of where he's at right now. And I'm going to actually disagree with you here, Mike. I'm going to go with Wonderboy via knockout. Like, uh, I just think that this guy is the best striker currently in the UFC at 170 pounds. And he, uh, I mean, he's just nothing to fuck with. I mean, he knocked out Robert Whitaker. One doesn't simply knock out Robert Whitaker. I know he's at 170 pounds and he's a new animal at 85, but still, man. I mean, you went three rounds with Whitaker. You know how much of a beast this guy is. And Wonderboy did the same thing to Johnny Hendricks. Now, here's the thing, man. We're talking about Rory McDonald coming off that five-round war. 
I don't know if he's going to be the same, man. So we'll, we'll have to see what happens. But, you know, like you said, we have to respect him. You know, he is one of the most solid fighters, not just in the welterweight division, but in the UFC in general. So you can never count out a guy like Rory McDonald. But, I mean, shit, Wonderboy is just uh, – I mean, what do you guys think of his striking down at Rufus Sport? Um, you know, a lot of us come, you know, like I said, I just got done teaching Taekwondo. You know, I've been training Taekwondo since I was a little kid. I teach it all of us. You know, a lot of the fighters are Taekwondo black belts from Rufus sport. Um, even our coach, you know, he comes from, um, his lineage of kickboxing, karate and, and Taekwondo style from his dad who started his own, um, form of karate and stuff like that under, uh, you know, his dad and his brother, um, his dad learned from master Jun Ree. So, I mean, this is just a lineage that is huge in that side of the, the martial arts world so we're fans of it you know he's open he throws things that people aren't used to seeing and um you know he's creative um that being said i think that he's the most one of the most creative strikers in in the ufc um you know i think the johnny hendrix that he fought is a, a johnny hendrix that is on a downhill slope um you know i think a couple fighters in the the welterweight division could have did that to the Johnny Hendricks that uh, showed up on that night. Not not to take anything away from Wonder Boy, but um, there's definitely some heavy hitters in 170 that uh, will give him a run for his money. But I just think that he's too one dimensional. He's been working on his wrestling defense, but Roy's a different animal when it comes to taking taking people down. I mean, look at GSP. He he's not a high level wrestler as far as like collegiate status or anything like that, but MMA wrestling, he was taking down, you know, he, he took down the best of them, you know, the all the high-class wrestlers, the Finches and all this stuff in the world. Um, GSP, I mean, uh, Rory has that same background. So, um, you know, their striking sets them up for really good takedowns, and I think that we're going to see, you know, a similar fight to, um, you know, when, when Matt Brown was even able to take, um, you know, take him down and stuff like that. So that'll be interesting to look at during that fight. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, a little backstory. They actually brought in Wonderboy to TriStar a couple years back to teach them some striking techniques. And you bring up the Matt Brown fight. I was actually in attendance. It was an ATL. But here, here's my comment on that fight. You know, I've always said once his defensive wrestling catches up with his striking, look out. And, I mean, he's been putting in the work with Chris Weidman. And like you mentioned, Johnny Hendricks is on the downhill slope of his career. But, I mean, he's still Johnny Hendricks. He's still a D1 All-American. He can still take down most people. And, you know, Wonder Boy showed some very good defense. Now, the thing here is uh, Faraz is bringing in guys like Raymond Daniels, guys like Michael Venom Page to help Rory McDonald emulate the style of Wonder Boy. So, man, it's so intriguing. I know it's not even on this card and we're talking about it. I mean, it's such a good fight, man. Yeah, I agree. I think that's one of the fights that I'm most looking forward to. Um, is that fight? I think it could be very exciting either way. Yeah, and real quick before we continue on the card, I mean, the fans want to know what's going on uh, in your career. I mean, you're on a, a three fight win streak. You know, you've been finishing a bunch of these guys. Can we expect a call up to the UFC anytime soon, Mike? Man, like I said, man, I'm always ready, you know, and uh, I, I'm, I'm training hard every day. Um, I've been competing in a lot of jujitsu tournaments. I just won the IBJJF uh, Chicago Open in the Gi. Um, you know, so I'm just training, getting better everywhere, man. Like my first UFC run, you know, I was so young in my career. I'm still so young in my career. Um, I'm just, you know, trying to get fights and, and, and beat these dudes up and just work my way back. Um, that's, that's my goal, but you know, I need dance partners and a lot of these, uh, guys outside the UFC, they're, they're trying to pad their record. They want to take the easiest route and, 
you know, it's making it hard for me to get fights. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely not a fight that a lot of these guys will pick. Um, you know, you put my name on a list of guys, I ain't going to be the first one chosen. So um, that's what I'm running into right now. Um, I had a fight tentatively for uh, June 24th for victory fighting championships in Des Moines, Iowa. But the kid, Jordan Young, he was running his mouth being a fucking tough guy. Um, saying he wanted to fight me. And then all of a sudden, when, when shit got real, he backed out of the fight. And so we took the Twitter and we were roasting him up. And he's like, we'll fight when when the time's right. You know, being a pussy, backing out on you know, all the words and the big mouth talking he was doing before that. So that's what I'm running into, man. You know, it feels like my career's on a little bit of a hold just because these guys don't want to fight. But, you know, we'll find somebody. I'll be anybody's huckleberry. So uh, pick me out and let's get it on. Yeah, man. And I mean... Are you fighting nowadays still at 170, or are you going up to middleweight? What's the deal? I'm going up to middleweight, man. I'm I'm just getting too big. My, uh, you know, the cuts were just getting horrible. My last couple fights have have had to been uh, catch weights at 175, and you know, my body just isn't, uh, you know, going to that. Uh, going to that 170 is just a little bit too hard for me, and uh, and uh, I'm just, you know, my body's not capable of making it to 170 anymore so 185 is my new fight yeah and you see yourself competing pretty well with uh ufc middleweights right yeah i mean look at you know i fought robert whitaker and look at the terry's on he's knocking people knocking people the fuck out so it's like you know i can compete with guys at that weight class for sure you know he wasn't like bigger than me or anything like that i fought thatch i fought really big um 170 so um i think with this steroid ban in the ufc I'll be just as big as any of the other, the other guys, and I think I'll be able to, you know, definitely handle them. Yeah, definitely, man. And I mean, you know, when you fought some of these guys, not Whitaker, but some of these other guys, it was at a very different time in the sport. And nowadays, with all the changes that's going on, you know, a lot of these fights would be a lot more evenly contested, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I agree. I think once all these dudes are off shooting these needles up their butt, taking all these steroids you know, they're going to be deflated. And so they're going to be, you know, they're going to be coming back down to their natural size. They're going to lose a lot of that muscle mass and strength that, you know, they were carrying around. And then I think they're going to have to fight me on a even playing field. And, uh, you know, I think that deems bad for those guys. I think I'm technically better than a lot of the people that may have, you know, beat me in the past. You look at Eric Silva, he looks like shit now, now that he's off the gimmick. And it's like, you know, fight, fight me and, you know, off the stuff and I'll, I'll destroy him. Like, nor nor Talib was able to do to him. So, um, yeah, I, I think that the you know the testing's good. Everything's going in the right direction. I think I'll fuck those guys up off the steroids. Yeah, I'd definitely love to see you rematch Thatch or Silva in 2016 or beyond because, like we mentioned, the sport is changing. Now, next up, we got Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts. He's minus 365. The comeback on Dominique Steele is plus 255. And, I mean... The deal with Danny Roberts is he's one of these super dynamic fighters. He's a showstopper. He can knock dudes out standing. He can submit you off his back. It's interesting because, you know, he is British. And oftentimes we like to criticize the Brits for maybe a lack of wrestling. But, dude, the sport is evolving so much. And in his last fight, he submitted a D1 wrestler with a triangle choke. So, I mean, this kid is absolutely no joke. And in the fight before that... You know, he actually got taken down. He got full mounted, but he showed a lot of heart. He didn't quit. He gets back up and he knocks the dude out cold. So he showed me in that fight that he can get back up from a takedown 
And then in his most recent fight, he showed me he can submit you off his back. And we know this guy as a striker. Now, the deal with Dominic Steele is, you know, kind of uh, like the Walt Harris situation. He's being brought in here to lose to Danny Roberts. Danny Roberts is supposed to look really damn good in this fight. So it's a matter of can Hot Chocolate go out there and, you know, get another highlight reel finish? Or is Dominic Steele going to push him up against the fence, you know, put him down on the ground, make the crowd boo and grind out uh, an upset decision? Um, you know, like you said, I'm, I'm high on Danny Roberts. I think that he's a pretty good fighter. He's very dynamic. Um, you know, a lot of those British fighters, they are coming and turning the corner um, in their MMA careers. They're be becoming really, really um, well-rounded. Um, Dominique still, I'm not very high on that guy. I don't think he's technically good. I think he's just kind of wild and, and aggressive. So um, he's a former 185er who's going down to 170. So I think he's just strong for the weight class. And uh, I think his game plan is going to be uh, take Danny down and, and just try to grind out a victory. Whether he'll be able to do that or not, um, I'm not sure. I think that Danny Roberts is going to be a little bit too smooth on his feet, able to land the strikes. And I can see him putting Dominique still down and, uh, you know, climbing up in that, that welterweight division, which is obviously the UFC's goal with the matchmaking. Um, if you look at that fight, if he takes care of business like he's supposed to be. Absolutely. And you know, another thing we got to point out with Dominic Steele is he has been KO'd five times. And I mean, every time you get KO'd, we talk about this on Half the Battle every time, it gets that much easier to get knocked out again. So, I mean, if you have some chin issues and you're going up against a guy like Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts, I mean, you better dive on those legs, man, because uh, standing with this guy is not a good idea. Yeah, I agree, man. Every time, you know, Connor said it best. Every time you, uh, you know, you get a taste of that darkness, man, that takes a little bit of your, of your soul as a, as a fighter. And so, you know, that chin doesn't get better with age. And you know, these guys are taking more and more shots. And I, I could definitely see him being uh, put out cold again. Speaking of Connor, did you hear the news today? Yeah, I just beat that out. Uh, you know, I think you know what? I just think he got sick and tired of being the show, the show pony. You know, he's like, I just want to be able to train and fight. And, you know, he's he's done all the other media that the UFC has asked him to do. And, you know, he finally said no. And now they're going to take a fight away from him, which I, I think is just stupid. I don't think he needs to do all this crazy media uh, to sell the fight. Everybody wants to see that fight again anyway. So uh, it's just, you know, let him train and let him fight. He, he's like, you know, maybe he thinks that played a part. And the reason why he lost is that those guys had him traveling all over the fucking world instead of letting them train. And so uh, I think the UFC needs to slow the fuck down on a lot of that stuff, you know, taking people out of training camp and making them travel all around the world, you know, have them do interviews wherever they're at. You know, they can they can sit in a green room and, and do it that way. They don't, they don't need to be going all over the place and, you know, dealing with a bunch of bullshit when all they want to do is fight, you know. So you know, I think that's on the UFC that they made that fight crumble. Yeah, and I mean, the fight sells itself. I mean, everyone, you know, people were complaining when it was first announced, but everyone wants to see Conor versus Nate again. So I have no fucking idea what happened behind the scenes, but, you know, I hope that they can put it back together, man, because that is a fight that, I mean, e even though, you know, when I backed Conor to be one of the greatest fighters of all time, 170 pounds was never yeah. part of the equation. But since he, uh, you know, tried to test himself... I want to see that rematch, man. I don't know if it's going to go any different, but I want to see that rematch. What about you, man? Yeah, you know, I would have been down to see that that rematch as well, you know. Um, you know, that fight was very entertaining until, you know, until it was over. So um, I say run it back, you know, let them go at it again, make a bunch of fucking money and, 
you know, sell off into the sunset. You know, the UFC is just, you know, losing out on money. That 200 card is nice, but shit, this 198 card, I think, in Brazil, that card looks better than the 200 card to me. Dude, that uh, Brazil card is absolutely ridiculous, stacked from top to bottom. And joining us now is 17-year-old phenom, Jamar Whitehead. Jamar, thanks for calling in on Half the Battle, man. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, it's my pleasure. And we got to talk about Sergio Pettis versus Chris Kalaitis. And Sergio Pettis, he's currently minus 260. The comeback on Chris Kalaitis is plus 180. And I mean, what can we say about Sergio Pettis? I mean, his nickname speaks for itself. This kid is a phenom. And, you know, it's interesting because we've seen him mature. If I'm not mistaken, he made his debut when he was like 19 years old. And now the kid's 23. So, I mean, he's maturing before our eyes. And in his performances, man, we've really seen that maturity firsthand. I mean, that last fight with Chris Carriasso, he took Chris Carriasso to school for three straight rounds. And even in his losses, he's looked amazing. But I feel like he kind of needed those to, you know, get a little focused, get a little dialed in because he is, you know, a younger kid. And he's also been trying to break away from uh, the shadow of his brother. A lot of people know him as Anthony Pettis' brother. But now he's really showing that, hey, Sergio Pettis is a force in the UFC flyweight division. And the deal with Chris Kalaitis is... He's a really tough, gritty guy. He's a little bit older. And, uh, you know, in his UFC debut, he went in there against Patty Houlihan. He got the big upset. He's been in there with Ray Borg. He's been in there with Chris Beal. He's a very tough guy, and he will be a tough test for Sergio Pettis. But I do believe this is a test that Sergio can pass. Now, Mike, you train with both the Pettis brothers, so I got to know right here, right now, on half the battle, how's this fight between Pettis and Kalita going to go down? Like you said, I think, you know, the losses are something that Sergio needed at that, at that time. You know, um, I think that they just... You know, being in being his teammate, seeing him every time he came back from a loss, he was hungry. He's right back in the gym. He's putting in the work, trying to uh, improve in the areas that you know were were either shown that he needed to work on in that fight, or you know he just thought he needed to work on um, all around. Um, I can tell you this: this kid is ready to fight, man. I seen him in practice on Friday. I ran wrestling practice for us at the gym. And he was on fire, man. He was he was hitting on all cylinders. So if Chris Kalaitis thinks he's going to come out and take Sergio Pettis down, he's going to be in a rude, a rude awakening, man. I can see Sergio just being way too much for the older fighter. I think Kalaitis is too slow. He's too old. I think Sergio is going to be able to destroy him on the feet, stuff his takedowns, take him down if he wants to, and uh, definitely control the fight all around. I can see Sergio getting a late first round or early second round um, TKO stoppage uh, for the win in that fight. Now, Jamar, I know you look up to both the Pettis brothers and your style is, you know, emulated by a bunch of different fighters, but, you know, you definitely have some influence from the Pettis brothers. So I got to know, man, what's your perspective on Sergio Pettis versus Chris Kalaitis? Well, everyone knows that the Pettis brothers are pretty much my hands-down favorite fighters. Um, Like you said, I do try to emulate their styles when I'm fighting. That being said, I think Sergio, I agree with... uh, I agree. Um, he's going to get the finish probably late in the first round, early second round. Um, I think this will be a tough challenge for him, but I definitely think he'll uh, he'll get it done. Yeah, definitely. Now, Biggie, I got to know, man, because Duke Rufus has been like a father figure to both the Pettis brothers for a very long time. What's the deal with them training at Jackson's for for a little bit for this fight? Um, honestly, with that case, you know, um, I just think that, you know, Serge, I think it was really, you know, Anthony wanted to, um, you know, go somewhere and just see some new bodies, see some new looks. Um, you know, I think, you know, after, you know, when you train with the gym and you train with the same training partners for so long, 
you know, sometimes you catch on to each other's habits and you're not necessarily getting better as a fighter, but you might just be getting better as far as, um, you know, being able to, to beat the guy you're going with your training partner, not necessarily seeing new looks for fights. And I think may, I think he went down there, uh, you know, to go with some new guys and just, you know, getting some fights, you know, um, training with new people. They're going to try and take your head off because you are Anthony Pettis. And, you know, I think maybe he just wanted to feel uncomfortable, you know, and, uh, you know, if that's if, if that's what he needed to do, then, you know, kudos to him and Sergio for going to do that. But, um, you know, they're Rufus Sport fighters through and through. Um, I think, like I said, they just went down there to get some get some new looks in and hopefully it, it benefits them in their fights. No, absolutely. And I mean, you mentioned how you were in wrestling practice with Sergio the other day. You said he's firing on all cylinders. So clearly it's paid off. Yeah, you know, Sergio, you know, like he's. The internet and fans, they go all nuts. They think because a guy goes to a gym that he's automatically going to just be this awesome fighter, that these coaches have this huge influence on fighters. Sergio and Anthony have been fighting since since they could walk. They've been training since they could walk. Going to Jackson's gym for, for a, a total of probably eight or nine days training, that's not going to do anything for them. You know what I mean? They just got to see some new bodies. They got to train some new guys. You know, they were firing on all cylinders, you know, before they left to go there. So, um, you know, people just look into it too much, and they think the camp makes a lot of these fighters. A lot of these fighters weren't started or grown, homegrown in the camps that they train at. So a lot of those coaches didn't have that big of an influence on those fighters. They're just reaping the benefits of all the other coaches and all the training that these fighters put in. You know, that's the thing about our gym is that Duke took most of us from the start groomed us from white belts in, in our kickboxing system all the way to the top. You know, all these other gyms have a bunch of fighters that move from all over the world or, or do that. Like, you know, Jackson gets a lot of credit for these Russian fighters when these Russian fighters have been comboed, uh, Sambo champions their whole life. They've been training here and there their whole life, and it just makes the gym look good. But, um, you know, they're ready to go. They've been training. I think that uh, they're both going to showcase, um, you know, that Pettis last name and put on great performances. Definitely, and on the pay-per-view main card, we got Andre Feely. He's a plus-130 underdog, and he's taking on Yair Rodriguez, who's minus-150. And, I mean, the deal with Yair Rodriguez is I feel like he's also influenced by Anthony Pettis, and he's taken, you know, the great parts of Anthony Pettis' game, and he's taking it to that next level. I mean, this kid, you know, it's funny because with Pettis, Anthony, you know, I used to talk about how he does these techniques that – we used to say, oh, you're only going to see that in a Bruce Lee movie. And then he goes out there, he jumps off the cage and, you know, kicks a dude in the head. With Yair Rodriguez, I mean, he's got zero opposition to throwing 360 roundhouse kicks and, you know, capoeira techniques. And off his back, he's really damn good, too. He can submit you with a triangle choke. So, you know, I got a lot of respect for Andre Feely. He's a very tough fighter. But I see something special in Yair Rodriguez. You know, I, I see potential champion. In Yair Rodriguez. So I'm going to have to pick him for the victory here. Now, Biggie Rhodes, I mean, I know Pettis has trained with Yair, so you know firsthand about this guy. Yeah, um, Yair's came up to Rufus Sport. Uh, he does a lot of his training in Chicago. Um, he's came up to Rufus Sport and trained. Um, I've sparred with him before and stuff like that. And, you know, him and Anthony have a pretty good relationship. Yeah, you know, like I said, you know, a lot of people are just like, oh, the Anthony Pettis style and, um, 
man, it's it's a taekwondo. You know what I mean? It's just like, so if you go to uh, any taekwondo school, a high level, you know, black belts, you'll see the three sixty roundhouse kicks, five forty back kicks back swing kicks, all this stuff. So it's just new to a lot of the MMA world. So it looks like really flashy and stuff like that. But, to, you know, like I said, all of us who come from Taekwondo backgrounds, that's just, you know, another day in, in the walk of our lives. So, um, yeah, he's pretty exciting. He throws a lot of things. Um, I think that the difference between the way he throws things and the way Anthony throws things is Anthony has very crisp boxing and basics to set up those really wild techniques. Yair kind of just throws stuff for no reason and I think that's why he ends up in a lot of bad positions in fights where he's you know able to use his athleticism to get out um you know I've been out the team alpha male if you notice on Twitter I relate and talk to a lot of those guys um a lot of those dudes are my boys and Feely's one of the ones you know um I love Feely dude he's outcast and underdogs you know what I mean that's what he's about he comes from nothing and I think he's gonna yeah you something he's never seen before um, he's going to put him in a dogfight. Feely's one tough dude, and, you know, his hashtag is eat one for Feely. I'm going to eat one for Feely, and I think he's going to smash um, Yair, actually, in that fight. Wow, very bold pick. Now, Jamar, <laughs> are you going with uh, Yair Rodriguez, or are you going with Andre Feely here? Well, you know, I know that Yair is a, a black belt in Taekwondo, and i got to stick to my roots. I'm also a Taekwondo fighter. So, yeah, I got Yair winning, honestly. Uh, I think Andre Feely is a very tough opponent, but I don't think he's ready for the uh, unorthodox style of Yair, personally. Uh, I think Yair is actually going to finish him probably late in the fight, though, maybe in the third round or late in the second round. That's just my opinion, though. Well, yeah, we're we're here giving our opinions, and I mean, it should be a very exciting fight while it lasts. I mean, like we mentioned, Yair does all those, you know, as we like to call them, unorthodox techniques. And Andre Feely, I mean, the dude's a... He's a dog in there. I mean, the guy just goes in there to fight every single time, win or lose. But, like I said, I do see champion in Yair. That's why I'm picking him here. Now, next up, speaking of a future champion, we got Robert Whitaker. He's minus 310. The comeback on Rafael Natal is plus 255. And, I mean, I've gone on record many times talking about how highly I think of Robert Whitaker. I mean, this kid's absolutely unbelievable. His... uh. His striking super dynamic. He's got power in his hands. His wrestling isn't half bad either. He's been in there with D1 wrestlers, gotten back up to his feet. He can even take you down. And it's funny. I used to think this guy was a boxer. And then it turns out he's a karate guy. He's, you know, because he, he used to, back when he fought at 170, before he fought you, Biggie, he used to keep his <laughs> left hand all the way down. And I actually thought, that, like I said, I thought the dude was a boxer. But then I see him throwing uh, head kicks and you don't even see the setup. I mean, he just throws it, and you don't even see it coming. Then I was like, oh, so this guy's a karate guy, huh? He's just, uh, he's super nasty. The deal with Rafael Natal is that he can grind you out, he can submit you, and chances are, you know, he's he's been getting better on the feet too. If you watch his fight with Tim Kennedy, I know he got knocked out by a big left hook, but dude, up until that point, he was making Tim Kennedy look like a complete amateur. So, I mean, what that tells me is that, you know, he can go down, he does have... I'd say maybe a suspect chin, but with Robert Whitaker, it doesn't really matter because if that dude touches you, most likely you're going down. Now, Biggie, you went three hard rounds with Robert Whitaker, so I got to know this fight from your perspective. And, I mean, you have spoken in the past on Half the Battle about what it was like going three rounds with Robert Whitaker. Why don't you tell us again, man? 
Um, you know, Robert Whitaker is a very tricky and unorthodox guy. Like you said, uh, he comes from a karate background. He's, uh, I think he, I believe he's a purple or a brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu in the gi. Um, like you said, he's got surprisingly good wrestling. He was able to take me down um, in our fight late in the third round when I was trying to press him. Um, he was able to get a takedown. But that dude is one dynamic striker. You know, I had to be on my toes the entire fight versus Robert, and he hits like a freaking freight train. So, um, you know, Rafael Natal's no no slouch, but he is a gas machine. He will gas himself out early in the first round. You can go back and watch all of his fights. His thing is he starts fast, but he ends very slowly. That's going to be bad for him. He's going to wear himself out trying to get Robert down, and I think Robert's going to put him out early. Um, that dude's just way too dynamic of a striker. He's explosive. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just see Rafael Natal having a very, very hard time with that unorthodox style and the movement that Robert has. So, uh, yeah, definitely taking Robert by a knockout or TKO uh, early first, late second round. And, you know, it's important to note that Robert Whitaker, he did arrive to Vegas, you know, two weeks in advance so he could acclimate. I mean, the guys from Australia – I mean, it's it's funny because right now we're recording this on Tuesday night. In Australia, it's already Wednesday morning. So, I mean, just the time difference is absolutely insane. But Dana White loves this guy. He sees something special in him. I see something special in him. I think he's going to knock out Rafael Natal. Jamar, how do you see this fight going down between Robert Whitaker and Rafael Natal? Personally, I, I, I agree with Biggie. I don't think... Uh... I don't think Natal's going to take it in any way. I think he's a little too wild, in my opinion. Um, I think Whitaker's a little bit more pinpoint. I see uh, I see Whitaker knocking him out, honestly. And um, if, if Whitaker does lose, he'll probably get knocked out himself due to a wild punch from Natal, in my opinion. So I don't see that really happening, but uh, Whitaker's going to take the fight. Yeah, I mean, it's just good to see Robert Whitaker fighting consistently because, I mean, the dude has so much talent. And, you know, like Biggie mentioned, at 170 pounds, that power, Biggie said he hits like a freight train. Now the kid's fully fed, he's fully hydrated, he's at 185 pounds, which seems to be his natural weight class. He's way faster than most of the guys at 185 pounds. And it's really, it's showing, it's speaking for itself, man. And uh, that last fight he had against Uriah Hall, very impressive performance. I mean, he just put it on him for three straight rounds. And when Uriah Hall was finally like, fuck, I'm going to let those head kicks go in the third round, he landed a clean head kick on Robert Whitaker's chin. And Robert Whitaker looked at him like he was dumb and just kept attacking. I was like, damn, this motherfucker does not give a fuck. And he will fight till the bitter end. So when you got a guy like that, I mean, you got to back him. And like Jamar said, if he loses, it will be via knockout because, I mean, this is the kind of guy, like I said, will fight till the bitter end. However, I do not foresee a knockout on Natal's end. I foresee Natal getting knocked out. So we all got Robert Whitaker. Now, next up, man, shit is going to get real good. We got Anthony Showtime Pettis. He's a minus 175 favorite, and the comeback on Edson Jr. Barboza is plus 155. And, I mean... Man, when Anthony Pettis was the king of the lightweight division, I was like, dude, no one's going to touch this guy. I mean, like we brought, like we were saying earlier with Yair, you know, Pettis was one of the first guys to do these techniques that, you know, we said, you're only going to see that in a Steven Seagal movie. You're only going to see that in a Bruce Lee movie. And I mean, this guy's going out there, 
you know, against Cowboy, throwing cartwheel kicks, jumping off the cage and throwing a knee. I mean, he's just, when he's on his game, he's just the most dynamic striker in the 155-pound division. Also, I mean, you take this guy down, you better be careful because he can submit you off your back, off his back too. But his last two fights, he has fought, you know, the number one and number two lightweight on the planet. Now, the deal with the Rafael Dos Anjos fight is Rafael is just an absolute monster. And Hafa was mixing the striking to the takedowns very effectively. He also hurt his orbital with the first punch he threw. So, you know, props to Rafael. Now, the deal with the Eddie fight was, I mean, Eddie basically wanted nothing to do with him. Wanted to push him up against the fence for three rounds. Now, I got a couple questions about that fight for you, Biggie, because, I mean, you are... You know, boys with Pettis, long-time boys. Um, so the kicks, to me, it seemed like they weren't as heavy as they were in, say, the Benson fight or the Cerrone fight. Do you think that's due to the fact that Anthony was fearing the takedown? Or is Eddie just just so damn strong that he can absorb it no problem? Um, Man, that's, that's funny that you paid attention to that detail and you actually brought that up. Um, that's something that we've talked about in practice, uh, something that Duke has talked about. And, uh, you know, Anthony was coming off injuries for both of those last two fights. You know, um, that's the knock on Anthony is that he gets hurt a lot. But literally, man, it's just like bad luck. You know, what I mean, it's like the littlest of things that should never, you know, injure you. And he ends up just getting hurt sometimes. But um, before the Melendez fight, you know, he was out in the ultimate fighter. He was hurt. You know, he was away from training a lot. Um, and then he came back after that fight, had a little, you know, injury bug. And so he wasn't able to, you know, smash the pads like, like he normally does for fights. And I think that affected, um, you know, the way some of those kicks were thrown, but, uh, definitely, um, you know, I think the takedown was, was a little bit of a threat, but Ben Henderson's a good wrestler too, you know, and when Anthony wants to let things go, he will, and it doesn't matter, you know, what's going on. I just think that, uh, you know, a combination of, you know, the layoff and, uh, you know, that fight. And then just the way, you know, Eddie Alvarez uh, didn't fight. You know what I mean? He didn't really fight. He went out there and, you know, tried to hug him and hold him. And, you know, it wasn't really successful at doing any of that stuff. So, um, yeah, I think all that stuff just came into play. Yeah, and uh, let me ask you this. Are the hard kicks coming back against Barboza? Yeah, um, you know, Anthony's one of the most dynamic strikers um, in the UFC, and uh, he's definitely going to, you know, look to use his kicks. He's going to use his boxing. Um, you know, as we were talking off air a little bit beforehand, um, Anthony's going to be a full mixed martial artist in this fight. He's going to make Edson fear him everywhere, and uh, you know, he's going to pressure him. He's going to get back to that killer, that killer instinct. You know, um, and and I think he's going to take it to Barbosa everywhere. Yeah, that's exactly what we want to see. And we got to talk about Barboza for a sec because obviously he's built a reputation for himself as one of the most dynamic strikers in the lightweight division as well. You know, this matchup has always been a dream fight for the fans. We all recall Edson Barboza's highlight reel knockout of Terry Eddin, one of the best knockouts in UFC history. But the deal with Edson Barboza is he's kind of a front runner. And what I mean by that is, you know, he looks absolutely sensational when he's getting off on his strikes, but. You know, any little sign of adversity, and I'm not sure if I want to say he'll look for the door, but man, his chin doesn't hold up. I, I will say he looks for the door because he, he, he quick taps, and you know, so when you quick tap and you don't have the best chin and you're fighting a guy like Anthony Pettis, I mean, you better pray that you can outpoint him for three rounds. You better pray, man. So, I mean, unless Edson catches him clean with a head kick, 
I see Edson losing this fight. I don't know if it's going to be a body kick. I don't know if it's going to be a head kick from Anthony. But the thing is, Anthony's just got to avoid getting outpointed and obviously avoid getting caught. And if he does that, I think he will be fine. Edson has actually been training with Eddie. So, you know, I wouldn't be too surprised to see Edson Barboza shoot the first takedown in this oh, fight. For sure, man. Those dudes, none of these dudes want to actually stand and trade with Anthony. That's just not a good idea, you know? Um, and, you know, yeah, he's up there training with those guys. They think they have the blueprint to beat Anthony. Edson is definitely not the wrestler grinder that Eddie Alvarez is. If he tries to play that same game, he's going to wear himself out, and then he's going to get destroyed. Um, he is a quitter. You know what I mean? He's one of those guys that will quit tap. You know what I mean? Look at what Donald Cerrone did to him. Dropped him with a jab and then choked him out. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if the same thing was to go down with Anthony. You know, he freaking catch him with something and put him down and, and choke him out. But, you know, his, his one highlight is he does throw some wild big punches so anybody can get clipped. But Anthony showed a chin in that Dos Anjos fight. He took all those shots and kept fighting. He was in that fight the entire time. And, um, you know, Edson with the kicks, we don't get kicked out Rufus Bort. You can't name one of our fighters that have been, you know what I mean? Like, it takes, you better be damn good to kick one of us in the head. That's what we do, and we know how to defend it very well. Yeah, now Jamar, is Showtime getting back on track here against Barboza? Uh, I have 100% faith in, in Anthony Pettis. Like I said before, Anthony Pettis is my favorite fighter. Biggie, feel free to tell him that. Um, <laughs> I gotcha. <laughs> uh yeah, I see uh I see Pettis finishing him. Um uh, if he wins well when he wins this fight, it'll put him right back on track. Give him the confidence that he needs back in there. Um I think the fight with uh Eddie Alvarez Eddie Alvarez fought kinda like a punk, honestly. He just took him down the entire time, held him up against the against the cage, you know, hugged him the entire time. It wasn't even it was the most unentertaining fight I've ever seen, so uh, with Rafael Dos Anjos, I think personally Rafael Dos Anjos was on steroids in that fight. He had to have been. <laughs> Juiced out of his mind. You, you can't take a head kick, flush to the head, and, and just keep walking forward. Like, that's crazy, especially from the Pettis brothers. Um, so I think he's just had a little bit of bad luck, you can say. And uh, this fight, I think, will get him right back on track. Personally, I think this fight should be the main event. This fight, I'm I'm really excited for this fight more than John Jones versus OSP, but I know that'll be a good fight too. But Anthony Pettis versus Edson Barboza, that's going to be a war, guaranteed. Yeah, I mean it's definitely the people's main event. I mean, anytime you get these two inside the cage, it's going to be absolute fireworks. It's going to be pandemonium because, like we were mentioning, man, Pettis, he's absolutely unbelievable when he lets his strikes go. His submission game is really good. And Barboza, he's dynamic too. It's just a matter of, you know, if Barboza starts taking some shots, is he going to still want to be there? And also, you know, if he lands that switch kick to Pettis, you know, the the heart and the chin have never been a question for Pettis. We always have known he's a very tough guy. He's been through a lot growing up. And in the cage, I mean, he's, he's never quit in a fight before. Barbosa has quit more than once. Not just the Donald Taroni fight where he took a light jab, you know, and then quick tap, but... uh. You know, the Tony Ferguson fight, uh, Edson became the wrestler in that fight. He was the one shooting for takedowns against Tony. And uh, there, there was another fight, too, where he quit. So, I mean, basically, it's happened before. It can happen again. It's just about Showtime going out there and being Showtime. So, I think as long as he's himself, he lets those kicks go like he used to. 
he's got the victory here. So we're going to have to tune in and see, man. Now, next up, holy shit, co-main event of the evening, Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. He's a minus 440 favorite. The comeback on Henry the Messenger Cejudo is plus 350. Now, I'm going to be bold here. I'm going to go with Henry Cejudo. I know no one else is picking him, but... uh. I think that he could be the guy to potentially beat Mighty Mouse. I mean, I think he's super mentally strong. I mean, one doesn't simply win a gold medal in Olympic wrestling, USA Olympic wrestling, might I add. And I mean, the guy did that. A lot of people like to talk about his weight problems and say that, oh, he's not mentally strong because he had weight problems when he was 19. I'm like, dude, the kid's, you know, 26, 27 now. He's, you know, he's focused. He wants it. He's hungry. Now, here's the deal. A lot of people like to talk about his wrestling. Let's talk about his hands. This guy's a Golden Gloves boxer. And, you know, people mention how his wrestling hasn't translated in the UFC. Oh, yeah? Well, how many times has Cejudo been taken down? That's what I thought. Zero times. So, for me, what he actually does is he uses his wrestling defensively, he keeps fights standing, and then he outpoints guys with his strikes. Now, it could be one of those situations like Holly Holm where he hasn't really shown us everything he's capable of due to the level of competition he's fighting. Now, a lot of people act like he's fighting scrubs, but uh, I don't consider number three in the world, Juice Formiga, to be a scrub. You know, before that guy was in the UFC, everyone was talking about how he was the number one flyweight on planet Earth, and Henry had no problem getting a 30-27 over him. Now, the deal with DJ is... He's so dynamic. He's, you know, he took that flyweight division to a whole new level, and he's just unbelievable in every area of the game. His coach, Matt Hume, is incredible as well. They're super technical in all aspects. But I think the size of Cejudo, I think his technical abilities, you know, what he needs to do here is fight simple. He can't, uh, you know, don't go for spinning shit against Mighty Mouse. Don't, uh, you got to keep it simple. Keep it to the basics. And I think if he sticks to the basics here, he can win this fight. Now, I'm going to go ahead and assume you both disagree with me, but that's okay. I mean, DJ's an unbelievable fighter, so Biggie, take it from here, man. You are fucking out of your mind if you think that Henry Cejudo is going to be <laughs> mighty miles. I, whatever you're doing over there, you need to send it this way, man. That kid has, that kid has no chance in hell. He, his wrestling isn't that great, especially for MMA. Um, he fought my teammate Chico Camus, and Chico Camus gave him a lot of trouble in the takedown department. The only takedown that he got the entire fight happened in the third round. Um, when Chico was getting up, it looked like Henry was going to hit him with an illegal um, kick to the face. So Chico went back to his back to avoid that kick, and then Suhudo was able to get on top of him. Um DJ is the best fighter pound for pound in the UFC. I know people hate that term, but if you take everyone's skill set, shrink them to the size of Demetrius Johnson, he whoops every single one of their asses. There's not a fighter that is more technically complete than Don, than uh, Demetrius Johnson. He will he will out wrestle Henry Cejudo in MMA wrestling. He will outbox him, out kick him, out move him. He's going to outwork him and he possibly can submit Henry Cejudo as well. Henry Henry's striking is rudimentary. He 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 just throws Superman punches for no fucking reason. He throws wild strikes. He's he's doing a bunch of shit that is horribly wrong and he's going to get exposed and dominated like the rest of the competition who face Demetrius Johnson. Now, Jamar, who do you got in the co-main event of UFC 197? Uh, I got DJ all day. I'm sorry. I disagree with you 100%. Um, D, uh, I agree with, with Biggie. I don't think uh, Cejudo's wrestling is, uh, I won't say good. Good. His wrestling's good, just not for MMA, if that makes sense. So 
uh, I don't think his striking is really good at all. Um, I think Chico, uh, I think Chico Camus actually should have won that fight. I was kind of uh, a little surprised when he lost, but it is what it is. Um, I, I just, I think uh, Demetrius Johnson, his movement's going to be too much. His footwork, uh, er just everything, honestly. I don't think uh, Cejudo's going to get one takedown in this fight. And if he does, DJ's going to pop right back up and continue doing what he what he does. Or he might even submit him, in my opinion. I, I really don't see any scenario where Cejudo can win this fight. Unless he just pulls like a, a Chael Sonnen and just lays on him the entire time. <laughs> if he even gets him down. You know, it's funny, man. This fight, to me, has that Weidman versus Anderson feel to it. Where... Uh... You know, Anderson, DJ, I mean, number one pound for pound, best fighter in the sport, and, you know, Weidman or Cejudo, they're, you know, the American wrestler, but I don't know, man. We'll see what happens. Plus 350, I'm willing to take that shot and find out firsthand if Cejudo's the real deal or not, but you bring up the Camus fight, and I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, he couldn't take down Camus. Camus is extremely tough to take down, as we know, but I mean, he still stood up with him for three rounds and got a 30-27, so that, to me... You know, shows me this guy can win even if he can't take you down. But DJ is a completely different animal. So we'll have to see what happens. I mean, DJ is a minus 450 favorite for a reason. Because like Biggie said, he is the number one pound for pound fighter on planet Earth. But I actually disagree with that. I think this next guy is the number one pound for pound fighter on planet Earth. And that is Johnny Bones Jones. He is minus 550. He's taking on Ovin St. Preux, OSP. He's plus 425. And I mean, here's the deal with this fight. So John Jones, in my opinion, is the best fighter we've ever seen in the UFC or just in MMA ever. And he's unbelievable. I mean, you know, he was initially a very good wrestler, but I mean, he likes to beat guys at their own game. You know, he goes in there with Glover, and strikes with him for five straight rounds. He goes in there with DC and takes him down five times in a row. So he's unbelievable in every area. He's got, you know, physical advantages that you can't teach. You're just born with. I mean, both of his brothers are in the NFL. Uh, Jones has the longest reach in UFC history. And a lot of guys say that they don't realize, you know, how big he is until they get in there and they tie up with him. You know, DC was like, dude, I couldn't believe how damn strong he was. And that's DC. An Olympic wrestler. So the deal with OSB, you know, he's actually one of my favorite light heavyweights, man. I love watching OSBs. You know, it doesn't always look the prettiest, but he's effective and he finds a way to win. And I really respect that quality about him. He's super tough and uh, very athletic too. A lot of people criticize OSB for not going to a bigger camp, but I mean, he's gotten the top five in the world doing what he's doing. So it is what it is. You know, he's like that guy in the gym that injures people. I can totally see OSP being that guy who, you know, he kicks you and, you know, it's a little bony and he just hits you a little harder than most. And he's that guy at the gym that totally injures people. So, you know, maybe he could give John Jones a couple fresh looks, but at the end of the day, I do see John Jones taking him down and whether he, you know, lands some vicious elbows for a ground and pound TKO or takes his back and chokes him out, I do see John Jones finishing this fight inside the distance. And I mean, you know, they say it's an interim belt, but for me, this is the undisputed belt. And uh, DC has the interim belt. Now, I know there can't be an undisputed belt if there's an interim belt because you got to unify them. But come on, man. Jones never lost that belt in competition. Plus, he whooped DC the first time they fought, 50-45. So to me, you know, I, I, Jones is the champ. And the only two people he hasn't fought at light heavyweight are OSP and Rumble Johnson. So this is his chance to clear out the division, you know. After he beats OSP, you know, then he gets his 
quote unquote belt back from DC, then you got to fight Rumble Johnson. But right now we got OSP in front of us, and I think we're going to get past him. What do you think, Biggie? Um, I think John Jones is the pound for pound idiot. <laughs> this guy is just, I mean, look at the horrible life choices that he's made. Um, and I think that plays a part in your fight game. So your interim title talk, he lost that himself. You know what I mean? If he just act like a normal human being, he would he would still be the champion of the world. And like DC said, you're, you are accountable for your actions. And he lost the belt because he was an idiot. So he actually beat himself. So you can put that loss on his record because he lost the title for himself because he didn't know how to act. So uh, I have no sympathy for the guy. Um, he is one of the best fighters, though. I mean, look at it. He's one of the best fighters of all time. Um, I think he did the right thing by accepting the OSP fight. He could have turned it down. But, I mean, who we, would we even be talking about John Jones as much as we are now if Shogun didn't give him the shot that he did? So, um, you know, I think we're just going to get a fight. Um, OSP's dangerous. Um, definitely unorthodox throws from crazy positions. But he's one of those dudes that if he hits you, he can put you to sleep, you know, and uh, John Jones has has trouble with people who have the same length as him. Um, exactly like when he fought um, Alexander Gustafsson, who everybody thought was a dog and was just going to get smashed and his size, his height threw John Jones off. I think that we might see the same with OSP a little bit. So it might frustrate John Jones and take him a little while to, uh, you know, to figure out that puzzle. Ultimately, I do see him coming away with the victory, but. Um, I can't say I'm a fan of his, can't say that, um, you know, um, he's a good person or anything like that, but he is a good fighter. <laughs> Real quick, before we get to Jamar, sounds like you uh, sounds like you don't like this guy. No, I don't like him at all. You know, I mean, I just don't like what he stands for. Um, you know, being a black man myself, uh, you know, he, he was somebody that I think a lot of people from our community looked up to, and uh, he let a lot of us down with his actions. You know, he... He, he affirmed what people think of most of us anyway, you know, especially when we choose fighting as a profession. He just, you know, he made us look like, you know, the, the, the animals that they, that they think we are. Um, and I think that Daniel Cormier is, is exactly what, um, you know, the role model that we need. Um, I mean, look at it. He's a, he's a family man. He's a former Olympian. He's a, a stand-up guy. And I think that uh, John Jones is everything but that. And I think he's been that way his entire life. Um, you know, I know guys who went to, uh, junior college with him who knew John Jones as he was growing up. He was the same person. He just, he's just never changed. He, he, he's grown up and he's the same kind of person. And I think that, you know, being a black man, like I said, I think he, he he's making it even harder for us, you know, um, in this sport as well. I mean, look how many black athletes that the UFC actually gets behind and gives them a push. There's not very many of them. And, uh, I think he ruined that and, you know, the UFC is going to play and treat him differently. And, you know, I think that all comes in a, comes into my decision not to like him. Holy shit. A lot of politics there. Now, uh, Jamar, I mean, I got to know, man, the main event of UFC 197, John Jones versus OSP. How do you see this fight going down? Well, dang, when Vicky put it like that, kind of, uh, kind of made a good point, you know? So, um, I'm still going to, I was going with OSP since day one. Um, I've always liked Jones as a fighter. Um, I know OSP trains a lot in Atlanta uh, with a, a world, a Muay Thai world champion and uh, Matt New and So, 
the guy's a beast. Um, trained some great guys. He gets some good work in Atlanta whenever he comes. But some of the people that, that uh, OSP has knocked out, I mean, it's pretty vicious the way he knocks them out. I mean, not only his knockouts, though. He broke Ryan Jimmo's arm. He choked out Nikita Krylov with a Von Flu choke, one of the few people to actually get that. Knocks out Shogun, knocked out Patrick Cummins. Really, uh, I, I if he can land a punch on Jones, I think Jones might go out. And uh, OSP's a bigger guy, too. So I see it being a good fight. And uh, depending on how it goes, like exactly how it goes, I... OSP could knock him out, possibly. But if Jones does, uh, it, he's been looking good in his videos on on social media and stuff. If he, uh, if he's really been training that hard and he looks, he fights as well as he's been looking in the videos, then John Jones might take it. It's going to be a good fight, guaranteed. Though I know that for a fact. Yeah, absolutely. So. And it sounds to me like you guys are giving OSP a lot bigger of a chance than you're giving Henry Cejudo. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, you know, Demetrius is another guy who is, you know, you know, I don't just choose fighters that I like or dislike because of their fight styles and stuff like that. You know, being a fighter myself, you know, I like, you know, I, I, I tend to lean towards people who are also good people. You know, we're role models whether or not we want to accept that role or not. And, um, you know, Demetrius Johnson is a great role model, but look at that guy's work. He's beat the who's who of, you know, MMA, 35 and 25. So that guy's a beast. He's technically solid everywhere. He's focused. Um, he doesn't have any of the out-of-fight uh, troubles and, you know, run-ins with the law and stuff like that. And um, I just think he's a lot more focused. And I think that uh, Henry Cejudo isn't as big of a task as, say, a OSP on short notice, you know. There's a lot of things you don't know about OSP which makes him dangerous. So, um, and especially when you're that big, it takes one punch to put him out. Even at 25, you know, it's been some one-punch knocks knockouts. Demetrius owns one of those over my good friend Joseph Benavidez. But, um, you know, at that weight, the higher weight classes, just take one touch, man. The fight could be over. And so it makes those fights a lot more dangerous, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Now, before we get out of here, I got to get your guys fight to watch and fighter to watch. For UFC 197. So, Biggie, what's the fight to watch for UFC 197? I think the fight to watch, you know, going back to, like, the people's main event, um, I think that it's going to be, you know, obviously my teammate Anthony Pettis and Edvin Barboza. I think, um, you know, that's been a fight that everybody's been wanting to see for a long, long time. And, um, you know, I think it's going to live up to the hype and be very exciting with my teammate obviously coming out on the good side of that, I'm biased, but fuck you if you if you don't <laughs> like my pick. Um, and then the fighter to watch, um, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with my man Andre Feely, man. I, I honestly believe that you know he's one of those guys who might not be the most technical guy, he might not be the most skilled everywhere, but like you said, he is a dog fighter, man. And and I enjoy the good underdog story, and uh, I think he's gonna come out. And put a whooping on on the on the you know the self inclaimed you know golden boy that you know everybody's looking at to be the next big thing. I think uh, I think Andre Feely's going to humble him and uh, showcase that uh, you know you can never count him out. 
Yeah, and Andre Feely does like pizza. I like pizza. So, I mean, if he did get his hand raised, I would not be pissed off. Now, Jamar, <laughs> fight to watch and fighter to watch, my man. Fight to watch. Of course, I'm going to have to go with Anthony Pettis versus Edson Barboza. Uh, like I said, I think that's the people's main event. Now, fighter to watch. I'm going to go with Clint Hester for the for the sole reason that he's uh, he used to train out of Atlanta. He just recently went down to Black Villian. But I've seen him work, and uh, I've, I, w- I had the opportunity to spar him one time. He probably doesn't even remember me, but he was a—he's—he's uh, he's pretty good, you know. And I'm sure now that he's training at Black Zillions, where he's training with a lot of UFC fighters and top five ranked guys in his weight class, top ten ranked guys in his weight class, glory fighters, all that. I think uh, I'm sure he's gotten a lot better, and I think um, I think he'll take out his opponent. Yeah, I do as well, and he's currently the underdog. Now, I'm going to give you guys two fighters to watch. I'm going to skip the fight to watch. I'm going to go with James Vick and Robert Whitaker. I mean, you guys know how I feel about both of these guys. You know, James Vick, good friend of mine, good friend of the show, half the battle. And, I mean, he's the tallest lightweight in the division. You, he's got that, uh, you know, that game changer with that guillotine choke. But also, I mean, he throws flying knees. He throws Superman punches. He, uh, he does it all, man. And he's very focused. He's hungry. He really wants his victory. James Vick is definitely your fighter to watch. And your other fighter to watch is Robert Whitaker. I mean, like Biggie and I were briefly alluding to earlier. I mean, Biggie went three rounds with this guy. And Whitaker is just, he's a freight train, man. And now at 185 pounds, like we previously alluded, you know, he's fully fed. He's fully hydrated. And the results are speaking for themselves. So, yeah, James Vick and Robert Whitaker are my fighters to watch for UFC 197. Now, I want to thank you guys so much for taking the time to speak with me right here, right now, on Half the Battle. Obviously, you guys are welcome back anytime you want. And just let the audience know, you know, where they can follow you on social media and what you got coming up, Biggie. Yeah, you can follow me on my social networking sites, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat. They're all Team Rock Biggie. That's T-E-A-M-R-O-C-B-I-G-G-I-E. You can get over on my Facebook fan page, uh, Mike Biggie Rose fan page over on there. Um, you can also check out my website, BiggieMMA.com. And, uh, yeah, just follow me on any of those. Uh, keep you updated on my fights. Um, I think I'm pretty funny. You might not think so. <laughs> Fuck you. So just follow me anyway, um, and you'll have a good time. So, yeah, check me out. And, uh, once again, pleasure being back on the show, man. Absolutely, man. Definitely follow him at Team Rock Biggie. And Jamar, let the audience know what's up, man. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at ASVP underscore underscore F-U-E-G-O. Snapchat's Jamar617. Feel free to reach out to me. Uh, My next fight is actually going to be June 4th down in Hollywood, Florida for for a Muay Thai title. Um, I'm excited about that. It's in my my second hometown where I, where I lived before I uh, moved up here to Atlanta. So just now I'm bringing the belt back to uh knuckle up fitness where I train. Um, I train with a lot of beast guys, so I know, I'll, I know they'll be proud. It's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, man, they'll definitely be proud and I will be proud as well. Thank you guys so much to all the fans, you know, obviously subscribe to half the battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube, and you know what, I'm going to be at the fights like I mentioned, we're going to be talking to the fighters there, you know, after James Vick gets the big victory, we'll do a post-fight victory podcast, and I mean, 
You guys know it. I'll be back for more. My plays for this card. So I got Vic under two and a half rounds at plus 125. I parlayed John Jones, Robert Whitaker, and James Vic. I normally don't do three-team parlays, but when I do, it's exceptions like this. And I took the shot on Cejudo, so we'll see what happens, man. And until the next time, enjoy the fights.